my father is the garden. We just stand on that little description of you, Heavenly Father, tonight and know that you're committed to making something of us. Um, even, dare we say, making something beautiful of us. And we pray that you would be at work amongst us tonight. In this wretched weather, we pray nonetheless we would know the smile of your love at work on us and change us, we pray, therefore, in Jesus' name. Amen. I neglected to welcome the youngest member of the church family. It's nice to have Eleanor with us as well. You, can, you may be able to meet her afterwards, I don't know, but... Uh, uh, Eleanor, if you're sleeping through the sermon or feeding through the sermon, that is fine by me. I have a verse to start with. Um, we're on the last of the I am's tonight. Um, John 15, verse 5. If you can find it in the middle of that reading that uh, we had. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, said Jesus. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I am number seven. I'm hoping it will, we'll all find something worthwhile in that uh, claim of Jesus Christ for himself today. Um, we're going to hop around the passage that was read a bit um, but I want to distill three lessons from it, if I can do that. The first lesson is this, the fundamental relationship. The fundamental relationship. The fundamental relationship at the very heart of the Christian faith is the relationship between a man or a woman and Jesus Christ. And I think that much is apparent in my text. I am the vine, said Jesus. You are the branches, which is itself an unpacking of the first verse of that reading. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. If you're familiar with the, the setting for this, Jesus was speaking the night before he died with his disciples. There is some speculation as to whether he was pointing out some vines at the time as he was speaking that could be seen from the Garden of Gethsemane, and maybe he was. But in any case, the image was one which would have been very familiar to the disciples because the description of the people of God as God's vineyard was there repeatedly in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we had it earlier in the service, the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And in that reading, he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. So when Jesus calls himself the true vine and his disciples the branches, it is a huge claim. Jesus is saying that everything which God's people had failed to be and do over the centuries, Jesus himself was going to do and be. They hadn't been a productive vine, but he would be a genuine, fruitful vine. Jesus Christ, the man right there beside them, was saying it of himself. It's a huge claim. They were just a small bunch, fairly unimpressive, alone out on a cold hillside. They're soon to be scattered and without their master. But by virtue of their link with him, 
They are the true people of God. So his death the following day isn't going to change that because he would in fact come back to life. And even though he was then going to leave them, he would send the Holy Spirit as another advocate to help them. He told them that earlier in the evening. And through the Spirit, the relationship with Jesus Christ would be more close, not less, more real, more permanent, more intimate than anything they'd even known thus far, he says. In fact, with the vine and the branches, you're really struggling to know where the main trunk of the vine and the branches um, are distinct, where the main trunk ends and the vine tendrils begin, because they're organically linked, of course. So it's describing the fundamental relationship which lies at the heart of the Christian faith. Every Christian knows that they are inseparably linked with Jesus Christ. They're drawing on him, the true vine, for a genuine, authentic relationship with Almighty God. In the context, I think you can see how that makes sense of verse 2 in the reading that we had. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That's a comment on the unbelieving Jewish people. Uh, in Jesus' time. Religious people who assumed that they were part of what God was up to, that they were in the vine, but who were in the process of finding out that they weren't in the vine. They didn't recognize the true vine, Jesus Christ. And I suppose it's still frighteningly possible to make the same mistake today, to be religious, but not to enjoy this vital relationship with Jesus Christ. At the house parties on, and camps on which I became a Christian myself, we had a talk every year, the first talk of the holiday. And it was always the same. It was fairly predictable. Christianity is Christ. Not just a creed, a set of beliefs where you could just tick the box, yeah, I believe that. Not just a code, a code to live by. Do this, don't do that. Not a creed, not a code, but Christ, knowing him as a living person, uh, depending on him, because he lived the life I cannot live and the life no one else has ever lived. So I always want to say with verses like this uh, when I'm preaching, if, if you're plugged into church but you've never yet personally asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and friend, then you are missing out on the real thing. We need to have dealings with Jesus Christ. And we need to have dealings with him today, if that's possible. And I just wanted to pause at this point in the sermon to give you a chance to link in, to connect, as we say today, to Jesus Christ. Just to pause and to say, you're the vine and I'm in with you, Jesus. And let me just say, before I give you the pause moment, um, if you know him, you'll be able to do that. You don't need a special sort of uh, feeling particularly to pray. If you struggle to speak to him, it may point out the fact that you're not yet linked into the vine. And maybe the, the thing to pray there is, Lord, I just want to know you. If you're there, I want to know you. Okay, let's pause and take a a brief break.
Okay then, let's, let's keep going. We thought about the fundamental relationship that the branches have with the vine or the Christian has with the Lord Jesus. Secondly, the ongoing change. What happens, or transformation if you want a slightly more sort of technical word. What happens when I'm in relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, wonderfully, verse 1 says that God is at work on the vine. And I take it by extension on the branches. I'm the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. So God the Father himself undertakes the care of the true vine, supervising the health of the branches. He cares more about us than we care about ourselves. It's pretty amazing when I think about how much Simon Scott cares about Simon Scott. He cares more about me than I care about myself. There's somebody who takes more interest in me than I take in myself to the extent that he sent his son into the world to restore us to friendship with himself. And then he busies himself in an ongoing transformation of our lives. Well, how does he actually do it? The answer is by the pruning process. Let me keep reading verses 2 to 3. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it'll be even more fruitful. You, talking to the disciples, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. I got a, a, a bit of a confession. I am a, a keen gardener. I don't know whether this is the sort of thing you're meant to let on in public or not. Most of the year round, if I go out into our garden at the rectory, I am kicking myself and cross if I don't have a pair of secateurs in my pockets. Um, at the moment, just if you need a bit of a heads up on this, you ought to be getting to work on your roses soon, just to get them ready for the summer. Or I think my next priority is the cottiness, the smoke bush. Is that right, Derek? Should I be doing that soon? David, Sarah, I'm looking at those that know these things. Or Mandy knows. Mandy's an, a very useful garden tipster, if you want some information from her. Anyway, I, I feel... I almost feel naked if I don't have a pair of secateurs with me. I'd like to be busy with them. I'm more of a jungle tamer in my pruning style, so I I don't imagine many of the roses chuckle with glee when I approach with secateurs. But though the process is painful for them, it is necessary and beneficial. And God has the same approach in his garden. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it's going to be even more fruitful. I think I usually assume that that means that often the way God lovingly prunes us and transforms us will be through the pain of our circumstances. So there's some sort of suffering or struggle or disappointment which we might not choose, but which does us good nonetheless. There's a hymn by John Newton, the converted slave trader, which puts it well. I hope you can cope with some 18th century English. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know, and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hoped that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart 
And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my shelters, laid me low. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. So that's what I assume the pruning process is like and no doubt that hymn or whatever it is is all there in scripture. God is at work in all things good and bad for those who love him to conform them to the likeness of his son. Often tough circumstances in our finances or our family or our health are what God uses to refine us so that the dross of our lives, all the sin, rise to the surface and then can be removed. That's true. But I think here Jesus is being a little more specific about the agent of change in our lives, the agent of the transformation. It is specifically, he says here, his word which he uses to prune us. So you see how Jesus says to the disciples in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Actually, our translation disguises it, but pruning in verse 2 and being made clean in verse 3 are the same root word. In other words, as the disciples have had Jesus with them, teaching them his word, for the previous three years, it has already gone to work in their lives and the process of transformation has begun. They've already been cleaned up and pruned by Jesus' word. And now that process is going to continue as Jesus' words remain in them. I wonder if you spotted that further mention of Jesus' word in verse 7, I think it is. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. The agent of fruitfulness, again, is Jesus' word at work in the believer. Uh, This time, verse 7, as they pray. It is his word that does the pruning. Not automatically, of course. There's nothing magical about opening the Bible up that it's going to sort of change your life if, if you're not really taking it in. There's no magic to it, just reading the words on the page so that we're sort of miraculously transformed. But as that word is heard and retained, maybe memorized, learned and lived, God is wonderfully cutting away at the remaining sin in our lives and the Holy Spirit will be causing his fruit to flourish in us. And yes, sometimes that process happens as we go through suffering and the suffering is therapeutic in some ways. But suffering will tend to have one of two possible results in our lives. Either it will make us better or it will make us bitter. Suffering doesn't automatically make us better every time. People are often made bitter by it and hardened in their hostility to God. For the ongoing transformation that this Bible passage is speaking about to happen, we need the life-changing power of Jesus' word to sanctify our troubles to us and bring blessing out of them into our lives. So the word is the agent of change. 
which God uses to prune us. It's often wisely said that either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Either this book and the way you read it and take it into your lives, either this book will keep you from sin or sin will cause you to shut the book, stop reading it, let it gather gather dust on the shelves. I wonder if there are people here who are puzzled by their lack of progress spiritually. Could it be that you're not letting God prune yourself into fruitfulness by reading and taking on board uh, the Bible? You stop reading the Bible. And it's not so much necessarily that you're too busy. Sin is keeping you from this book because you don't really want this book to keep you from sin I know lots of us are very busy I hate to be legalistic about this I often say to mothers of young children they may really struggle to read their Bibles uh, for as long as they once used to manage Um, have to make do with reading devotional daily thoughts on a verse or two of the Bible rather than 90 minute Bible studies before breakfast or listening to audio Bibles, or putting a a favorite verse up on the bathroom mirror so it's there when you do your teeth. And it'll just be like a snack for some people that are frantically busy, and they're longing for the day when they can have a full meal spiritually again. It might be like that, but the Word is the agent of the transformation. It's how we remain in the vine that Jesus is claiming to be. Just a little footnote on this ongoing transformation before we move on to a very brief final point. I said that we're to have the word of Jesus active in our lives. I could equally have said that we must have Jesus himself in our lives. Because actually Jesus switches between those two things as if they're almost interchangeable. In verse 4 he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. And again, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Same in verse 5. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. But as I mentioned in verse 7, the idea of remaining, abiding, in the old translations, gets applied to the words of Jesus. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. And the point, of course, is that that's not two different things. It's one thing that's being described. You can't separate separate Jesus Christ from his words because of the work of the Holy Spirit when I hear Jesus' words from the New Testament I'm hearing Jesus himself as much as if I was in that vineyard or on that hillside where Jesus was and that can happen this evening if you have ears to hear it Jesus Christ is present with us as present to us by his spirit as he was when he first spoke these words to the disciples. It'll be happening if you open your Bibles at home praying for that exercise to be real. And if day by day we remain in Jesus' word, we will remain in Jesus and we'll be being pruned and we will bear fruit. So the ongoing transformation. Last heading the ultimate outcome. Of course, in what Jesus said, there are in fact 
two outcomes, fire or fruitfulness. So verse 2 has already brought before us the fact that God the Father cuts off every branch in the vine which bears no fruit. And verse 6 expands on that. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The warning's not for people who aren't Christians and who know they aren't. It's more, in this case at least, for people who claim they are Christians but I don't know the reality or the fruit of the Christian life. And he's got a stark warning for them, Jesus, which I need to pass on if I'm to be true to him, that if anyone appears to be in the vine but doesn't really have any contact with Jesus or his words, they won't bear fruit. They can't. And they'll be cast out and burned. So I can't leave that possible outcome out, but I don't want to major on it. Instead, the outcome which Jesus is wanting to encourage us towards is fruitfulness. I am the vine, our text. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's a promise. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Sure, we can't do anything apart from Jesus. But with Jesus, we will bear fruit. In fact, much fruit. Part of that fruitfulness will be in our praying. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the power that was at work in the life of Jesus will be at work in our lives in answer to our prayers, which is amazing. I hope you'll want to be at the prayer meetings we have in church with a promise like that from Jesus. Much fruit. And that little phrase, much fruit, gets repeated in the final verse of our passage, verse 8. As if we perhaps need God to repeat himself. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If we're really disciples of Jesus, it will certainly show itself. There'll be fruit, much fruit. And wonderfully, the outcome will be that God the gardener will be praised and glorified as everyone sees what fantastic work he's done. I, I must say, I see that in the life of the church regularly. I try to uh, nudge myself when I have the chance to say something for a front to, to, to be sure to, to highlight so we can all spot where God is at work bringing fruit out of people's lives as we gather together week by week. But I want it to be so in my life that I bear much fruit, and I want it to be so in your life as well, that together we know verse 8 to be absolutely true of us. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be Jesus' disciples. Let's pray again that it would be so. Lord, we ask that Jesus, as the true vine, would be at work in us. We thank you that even tonight his word has the power to clean us and to prune us. We pray for that sense that we are linked to him because that is truly so. Thank you that he forgives us. Thank you that he's longing to, to change us. Thank you that the Bible is powerful enough to do that. And we pray that as individuals and as a church, we would bring you glory, Father, when people see uh, what you're doing in our lives. 
We pray it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.